with Communication Mixdown, and I'm John Langer. So what do you know about something called deep fakes? Well, I have to confess, I didn't know much at all until I read a recent piece in The Conversation written by Mark Andrzejewicz. The article's entitled, People Who Spread Deep Fakes Think Their Lies Reveal a Deeper Truth. Mark Andrzejewicz is a professor in the School of Media, Film, and Journalism at Monash University, and he's our special guest on the show this week, and he's here to drill down into that digital communication phenomenon known as the deep fake. Now, Mark began our conversation by talking about deep fakes using what are called deep learning techniques, and these are generated through artificial intelligence technology, and the deep fake creates simulated videos images and sounds that are so accurate in their representation that the video looks like it has really taken place. He uses the example of a recent video of Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg that was posted on the internet where Zuckerberg was saying things that he actually never said. Just, uh, Mark, if you wouldn't mind going back a little bit just to that Mark Zuckerberg um, deep fake video can you give us an idea of what it looked like? Because when I watched it, it 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 was, I mean, it 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 could be detected said it was it was fake, but it was also there was a lot of clues in it to make it look like it was very authentic. Yeah, you know, I think I think my take on it was visually it was more convincing than it was in terms of the sound. The voice didn't really sound much like Zuckerberg to me. Um, but the the video did, you know, and I think they had found video that they were able to to work with, um, uh, and that raises the question, you know, um, when are we going to reach the point when these are really uh, difficult to detect? Most of the ones that I've seen so far are reasonably easy uh, to detect, um, and you know, they they have some techniques. One of the uh, ways to detect deep fake videos for the moment is they, they don't do a very good job of, of blinking realistically. So often you'll notice that the speaker is, is not blinking. Now, I didn't notice if the Zuckerberg one was or not. I've got to go back and, and mm. take a look. But um, uh, the, the, so I think the real reason they're getting so much attention is not because they've reached a state of perfection at the moment, but because down the road it looks like these, out, these techniques that they use are going to be quite powerful and will make it easy to, in real time, or rather quickly, to generate uh, fakes and, and additional fakes. There, there was another one that was circulating in, in the U.S. that was a different technique. They took uh, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and they redid the audio. They slowed it down and then synced it to her speaking so that it looked like she was speaking with slurred speech uh, and looked like maybe she'd had too much to drink or was losing control of her ability to speak. 
And that went viral. It circulated. And uh, because of the way, again, the Internet works these days, there, there isn't uh, an editor who can, you know, stop it and say, hey, this is a fake. We're not going to put it out there. It just gets put out virally and, and circulates around. And it was getting quite a bit of attention and it got a lot of news coverage. This was fake. But plenty of people were circulating it, thinking at least when they first saw it that it was that it was real. Mm, mm. The the other question I or you, you sort of alluded to it earlier uh, before our communication breakdown, but uh, the online viral spreading of falsehood isn't new. It's been going on for a little while, and you specifically in your article in the conversation point to the Sandy Hook shootings, but also the mob killings in India, and you call these. And you've alluded to it already, false positives. Tell us what you mean by the false positive, and how do these ideas connect to Sandy Hook and the murders in India? Well, in the in the case of, of the murders in India, one of them was um, uh, there were a couple of people who were traveling, and uh, they were in a town that was not their hometown. And somebody started uh, rumors on a social uh, media network Saying that these were actually uh, kidnapping, these were these men were kidnapping children, and that incited that spread on social media in, in town and incited a riot. These people actually attacked the men and, and killed them. And this has happened in in a number of places. Uh, um, this kind of false stories accusing people of crimes, and then <laughs> uh, or or false stories that exacerbate. Um, uh, forms of uh, social conflict that have then led to an escalation of violence. And what I mean by false positive is um, creating the impression that something happened which didn't, and then uh, using that to incite people to action. So mm. one of the worries that people have about about deep fakes is that uh, fake information incriminating somebody could be circulated and make people think that that person was guilty of a crime and then lead to uh, some form of prosecution or persecution. Now, in the case of uh, Sandy Hook, it was it, it didn't. It, this was more fake news than um, than a than a deep fake. Uh, it wasn't a deep fake video. It was uh, a radio show in the U.S. that was claiming that the parents of the children who were killed were actually actors, and that the whole. Um, shooting had been staged mm-hmm. in order to provide uh, those who wanted gun control with political ammunition to, a- to advocate for stronger gun control measures. Mm. And what happened was one of the listeners of this radio show who believed this actually tracked down uh, one set of parents and, and harassed them, you know, was marching out in front of their house and accusing them of, of faking the death of their child. Uh, you can imagine... Um, how awful this is uh, mm-hmm. first to lose um, one's children and then have to have somebody come and uh, mm-hmm. accuse you of lying and saying that it's all fake. It's a very extreme, mm-hmm. uh, troubling situation. Now, and, the other side, there is another side, and you, you mentioned this as well in your piece. That you talk about what you call the false positive as a, as a sorry, the, not the false negative uh, the other side of the false positive is the false negative. I'm getting my, my words mixed up, but the false negative. What what does that involve? Because you say Donald Trump is a master of this technique. <laughs> well, for, uh, false negative. So for false positive is um, portraying something as if it happened when it didn't. 
a false negative is portraying something that did happen as if it did not. And, you know, Donald Trump was uh, maybe a little bit ahead of the curve here when the video was circulating that captured him uh, uh, on on videotape saying that he uh, would grope women. He afterwards said, I, I don't even think that was my voice on that video. He was he was suggesting that this had been fake. And uh, what I mean by a false negative is you can take actual documentary evidence that somebody did something, and if that person wants to deny it, they can say, oh, that's just a deep fake. That wasn't mm-hmm. really me. I didn't really do that or say that. And that what that does is, is spread mistrust of the media. And, you know, this is one of Donald Trump's uh, political strategies is to accuse the media of being fake. And so whenever it reports information that's unfavorable to him, he can say that's just fake news. And now, you know, if, with this, the anxiety around deep fakes is, you know, even video evidence that seems to indicate uh, what actually happened um, can be dismissed. Mm. And, and uh, people can say, no, that's not, even, that's not what happened. And that raises a kind of interesting question for people in media studies, but also for people who live in democratic societies where it's important to be able to have some, to be able to deliberate about the facts, uh, which is that media, all forms of mediation become really permeated with mistrust. You know, can't trust what you read, can't trust what you see, can't trust what you hear. Mm-hmm. So what do you trust? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, you know, how do you end up... Uh, in the past, we've had strategies for helping us decide what information is false or not. Uh, and typically those have been various media gatekeepers who, uh, and, uh, who have the editorial function of uh, trying to discriminate between true and false information. They haven't always succeeded. And that, of course... Um, gives more ammunition to those who say, well, you can't trust anything that you, you see on the media. And that creates some real problems for a democratic society where information is meant to hold those in power accountable to us. But if we can't trust our information, what happens to our ability to hold those in power accountable? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a question that we're probably going to have to engage with mm-hmm. more urgently in coming years. Yes, deep, deeply, uh, uh, a, a very uh, profound and uh, perhaps unsettling uh, consequence of the deep fake sort of phenomenon. Um, you quote, <clears throat> excuse me, you quote something from the Guardian that said somebody wrote, "Deep fakes are where truth goes to die." Yes, I, th- I thought that was very. <laughs> I thought that was very, <laughs> very profound. It's a powerful formulation in the sense that the, the line between true and false comes, at least in the extreme case, hopelessly blurred. You don't know if what you're looking at is something true that happened that people are saying is fake or something fake that happened that people are saying is true. Mm-hmm. And the danger is that then people say, well, you know what, if we can't, uh, if we can't agree on the facts, well, we'll just go with what our gut instinct is, or what our feeling is, or what we want to believe is true, yes. regardless of what the what the facts are. Yes, and then you then you lose the grounds for the forms of consensus forming and deliberation that we need to live together as to coexist in in, in society. 
Mm. So, so my worry is that you know if, if we lose the ability to use information and evidence to attempt to convince each other or uh, you know sway each other's opinions, what's left if you don't if you don't have arguments and evidence? Well, there's feeling, so you can attempt to then sway people through emotion, which is uh, you know what we might describe as a demagogic strategy, uh, or there's force. And uh, both of those look alarming from the perspective, again, of, of what it means to coexist in a democratic society. Mm -hmm. You t Also, you have a, a very quickly, uh, because we're running out of time, but there's a story that you tell about a London-based Islamic journalist and a Twitter troll named True Brit. And uh, I was wondering if you could just briefly explain that story and what was the takeaway message from there? This story really struck me because it was uh, it was the story of a journalist who had been repeatedly harassed by a troll online who was um, tweeting anti-Islamic anti-Islamic uh, tweets and uh, fake information and fake photographs accusing um, uh, Muslims of committing crimes that they had not committed and uh, and the journalist actually engaged with this troll and, and started a uh, Twitter conversation, and you know, was asking, um, you know, why this uh, true Brit was engaged in this form of harassment, and true Brit responded to him and, and started uh, answering his questions and saying that he tweeted this to all of the high, the prominent um, Muslims that he found online, or some of them, and uh, and eventually the journalist was able to arrange an interview with, with true Brit and discuss with him, and the portrait of True Brit was quite familiar one of somebody who was uh, a little bit down on their luck and was at home on the internet all the time and had kind of become radicalized watching YouTube videos and circulating the type of information that uh, uh, gets moved around in uh, extremist circles. And um, the journalist pointed out and said, well, you know, you know this, these photos, I can't remember this, this specific event, but there were a whole string of fake photos depicting forms of violence and claiming they were taking place uh, in, in a particular context, which was false, that the photo was taken from somewhere else entirely. And the journalist said, you know, why are you circulating these images if, you, if they're false? And Trubert said, well, you know, uh, you don't get mad about the things that the mainstream media says that are false. And also True Brit suggested that if they were factually false, they were true in the sense that other things like them had happened. So he was kind of, what he was really saying, at least how I read it, was they may not be factually true, but mm. they support what it is that I believe. And so there's a, there's a kind of emotional truth to them. Mm. Mm. Uh, and... And that's what I found quite alarming, the, the notion that truth and falsehood, I, I, we like to believe that if we point out what's fake and what's true, that that will sway people, that they, that they might, especially people like True Brit, who circulates information, he, he, he both circulates it and reads it. But what emerged from the portrait of this person was that they weren't really interested in, in what you might call factual truth mm. or falsity. They were interested in some kind of emotional truth or falsehood that reproduced uh, true grit, his 
these prejudices and stereotypes and preconceptions. And Mark, we're going to have to. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to say we're we're about the end of, end of um, the end of the program, and uh, I'm going to have to call it uh, call a finish to it now. At this point, perhaps we can catch up another time and uh, continue this conversation. Yes, I'd enjoy that. I appreciate your interest, and uh, I'd be happy to talk uh, at some future time. Excellent, and thank you very much for your input. Thank you. And I've been talking there with Mark Andrzejewicz, and he's a Monash University professor and the School of Media, Film, and Journalism. And his article from the conversation is, People who spread deep fakes think their lies reveal a deeper truth. And a link to that article, along with a podcast of this show, will be up on the 3CR Communication Mixdown website very shortly. That's all from us this week. Communication Mixdown will be here again next Monday. Let's go out with a track, and this is probably fairly appropriate. This is Kevin Welch, and it's a track called Every Little Lie. You're gonna have to make